Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Hit that subscribe button. Greg, best time of year, playoff time, which means less of a workload for film to watch, and yet more people are interested in what we have to say about the film that we watched. Well, it's Super Wild Card Weekend, Andy, so there's six games. That's a lot of football. That's a lot of when football. When do you think they're going to stop calling it? Like at some point, they're not going back to four wild card games. So the super is now the norm. At what point will they stop saying super wild card if they do? You're at the oh, NFL. I, you I, should know I, this. When are they? When are your bosses going to change no, this, it? This is, that's not my area. So I don't know the answer to that. I think well, the super makes it sound even more important than than well. Let's I don't want to say even more important than it is. It's important, but more important. And so therefore, yeah. I don't I don't think we're going to lose the word super anytime soon. I've actually enjoyed. I first, when they expanded the playoffs at first, I you know anytime you do that, you want to be careful about watering down the product. I like that the two seed has to play in the first round. That there's a seven. I, I I like it. I think it's gone really well, and I love that it's over three nights too, three days, three nights. Yeah. I think they've gotten it right. Let's start. Let's go with the, the the end of it, the Monday night game, the Eagles and the Buccaneers, and go really in depth on that. I know you've probably seen every Eagles snap this year. I've I probably I saw about eighty or ninety percent of them. We've seen a lot of Eagles, Tampa Bay. I think we've both seen a lot of them. So Philadelphia, if I recall, they were ten and one at one point. They were. If, if someone had said, "Hey, they're going to be in the Super Wild Card round," we said, "Okay, well, you know, Dallas probably got hot. Dallas beat them a couple times." But if someone had said, hey, they're going to go in losers of five of their last six, that's where that would have been really hard to believe. Well, let me ask you this. Obviously, I'm close, you know, living here in the Philadelphia area. I study the Eagles in detail. Um, I'd be curious before, you know, I give you my my point of view, someone who, you know, studies them on film, obviously. What is your take on what's what the Eagles are on, on, you know, sort of cliff notes version on both sides of the ball right now, because they certainly have not looked like a good football team. Yeah. I think offensively, if they were in a lot of staccato to them, I think they're an uneven offense in terms of how uh, the talent is there. The offensive line, I still, I still think is elite, but the execution, you know, there are weeks that Jalen hurts is not as on point. Uh, as as we've seen him in the past. And I think even within the game, especially early in games, you know, he hasn't been as on schedule and he's not making the same number of plays off schedule that he did. So that's kind of not saying it's all on him, but, you know, that's that's where it's going. And then defensively, you know, I didn't realize till my, my guy Cody Schwartz, I, I don't want to say I didn't realize, but I didn't realize how bad till Cody Schwartz pointed out their pass rushing numbers. Pass rush has not only not been the same, but it's not – Greg, it's been like production-wise well below average, which that one baffles me because it's not like there was an overhaul in personnel. In fact, with Jalen Carter there and Jordan Davis, I think improving, you know, it's on paper, it's a better pass rush, a more talented pass rush than we've seen. And obviously that has not played out that way. Let's continue with the defense since that's where you ended. Um, The pass rush is a really good place to start because last year they led the NFL – in sacks and they had far and away the most third down sacks of any team in the league and you and I both know how critical third down is and certainly third down pass rush Um, this year they're certainly not anywhere near the top of the league in overall sacks and they're near to the very bottom of the league in third down sacks and the result of that has been exposing their secondary see a year ago someone like James Bradbury who they gave a contract to after last season, 
he did not really have a strong season if you isolated on him and studied just him. But mm-hmm. that was camouflaged and compensated for by the pass rush being such a big factor. So this year without pass rush, their secondary, which even Darius Slay, who has been a very good player in his career, but is not quite at that level anymore, um, but he's still their best corner. This year, their secondary has been far more exposed because of the inability to generate any kind of consistent pass rush on any down, but in particular on third down. And the secondary overall is slow by NFL standards. And when you have a slow secondary, that causes problems. Um, As you know, you can create pressure if you choose to with blitz concepts, but it's very hard to cover up bad corner play. And I think that's one of the things that has kind of reared its ugly head with the Eagles this year is, is poor corner play overall and their safeties do not run very well. So it's, it's poor corner play. It's a slow secondary overall. They're linebackers because that's never been a position that they valued. And, and we'll see if there's any change in that overall organizational philosophy, but their linebackers have not been very good. They've had to bring in reinforcements and, then you put on top of that the lack of a pass rush, and it's sort of as the season has pre- progressed, evolved into a bad defense. Yeah, no, that's 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 really well stated, and it's it, basically what you just said in, in a nutshell. Is this is a defense that has always been built around the pass rush? Pass rush has not been what it was a year ago, and now the warts are getting exposed that were to some degree always there because you can't build at every position. That's the, they built around the pass rush. Pass rush right, hasn't been right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, quite frankly, Jordan Davis has not developed the way they had hoped because he was traded up for with the 13th pick in the draft. And when you trade up for a player at the 13th pick, you're expecting him certainly by his second year, last year was his rookie year, but you're expecting him by his second year to play meaningful snaps, which he has, by the way, but to become some kind of factor as a pass rusher. You, you know, in, in today's yeah. NFL, you're not trading up for a defensive tackle who's just a rundown player. That's not the way today's NFL works. Did you see him as that kind of player coming out of Georgia as a pass no, rusher? I've been, he was one of those guys, Andy, and you know that I probably watch in detail and in depth 200 to 250 college players that I evaluate. And when I say in depth, when I'm watching a Jordan Davis, I'm watching seven or eight games. I'm not watching, you know, 35 snaps. Um, I did not think he was a high-level prospect coming out of Georgia. And I said that, you know, leading up to that draft. And I got a ton of calls from radio people around the country, you know, to come on because, you know, they thought I was an idiot. And, you know, again, we'll see how his career plays out. It's only his second year. Um, so we'll see. But I did not see him that way. I, I thought that he was – you know, made some plays against the run, could occupy some space, but he can't rush the quarterback. And yes, he can run fast in a straight line, but he's not really laterally quick. So every once in a while, he would show a bull rush just because he's so big and, and theoretically strong. But I thought that he was strong, but not powerful. And those are two different things. Power is kind of strength in motion. And I didn't think that he could move people that well. I thought he was strong in just like that that immediate space that he's in, but that he wasn't powerful to really move people. Yeah, no, that's a great way to to, to say that. When when they made that draft pick, I wondered to myself, and I 
because I was aware of what the profile was right. on Davis. And I thought maybe Howie Roseman is viewing it because they've always been so deep along the defensive line and they, and they rotate guys. They're deep and they play to the depth. I wondered if he was thinking like, all right, well, if we find a guy that, that gives us more third down and seven plus situation, let's say he's a, such a great run defender. We create two more third downs and seven plus that would have been third and medium otherwise and they viewed it like that's helping the pass rush. Like we're viewing may, it from that. But I mean, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. Well, the one thing that he does, and and I don't know if you can fix this. Um, I, I Maybe different coaches would have different points of view. I'm not a coach, so I'm not going to profess any expertise in this area other than telling you what, what's on film. But he has a tendency to play way too high. And no matter how strong you are in confined space, if you play high in this league, you're going to get moved, as you know. And, you know, I don't know if that's fixable. Like I said, I'm not a coach. I don't know how you teach that, you know, but that's what he has a tendency to do. And he certainly shows that tendency if he has to play, you know, meaningful consecutive snaps, like four or five snaps in a row. That, that third down, so I'm looking at this, this stat that was sent to me. This was week 14. I don't think it's changed much, but it's the one that's that was like, oh, my goodness, when I was telling you about a second ago. So, yeah, the third down sack rate, it's not just that the numbers of sacks are down, because sometimes that can be a function of opportunity, number of snaps right. you're or whatever. But so last year they were at 17% sack rate on third down, which was 24% better than any other team in the league. That's a Yeah, huge they were great last year on third down enormous spread right this year they're at 5.3 percent which is 19 percent worse than any other so they not only went they were far and away number one they're now far and away number 32 their sack rate is has been cut down by i mean they're doing one third of what they did a year ago i can't remember the last time i saw a team drop off in one specific area like that especially without making wholesale changes or even huge changes the only the, the only change is that Javon Hargrave is not there and he's a really good player no no question about that but they also drafted Jalen Carter they expected Davis to take a meaningful step up everybody else was the same Andy and you know yeah, Reddick and, has not been as good Josh Sweat looks to me like he's injured and you know, he, he came into the league with a really bad leg and you know, he almost limped when he came into the league and he's been a really good player. I've thought up until the midway point of this season, going back to last year and maybe even the year before, I thought he was their best defensive lineman overall. But since week nine, when they played the um, Dallas Cowboys and Tyrone Smith just shut him down in all areas, Josh Sweat has not been a good player. And you know, I, I, I just think that, you know, he maybe the injuries to the lower body have just caught up with him because, you know, if, if you don't have a lower body that, that has some juice to it, you can't really play defensive line. We're certainly not rush the quarterback. So this, this game against Tampa Bay, which they met back in week four, I believe they were two of the three undefeated teams at the time. Philadelphia won it pretty comfortably in Tampa Bay. It was also a Monday night game, incidentally. Right. You know, we're seeing our can the pass so, – I, let's, let's, let me back up. Do we believe – let's keep it just on the Bucks game for now because one game at a time, they very much have to do one game at a time in Philly right now. Everybody does. Do we believe the Eagles can win this game if their pass rush doesn't play better Monday night than we've seen in recent weeks? Well, that's a tough call because, you know, I, I spent today, you know, 
I decided because because like you said, I mean, there's there's a little less footage to watch this week because um, I was very focused on the playoffs as opposed to teams this past week that did not play their players. So I, I spent more of my time watching the playoff teams that, you know, that did play players yeah. and, you know, focusing on them. So I actually did a little bit of a deep dive on Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, I've probably seen 13 of his games, but I wanted to kind of look at him in a little more depth. And I would say this. A couple of things stood out to me watching Baker. Number one, and, and also their old line, which I'll get to in a sec. But I think with Baker, you have to muddy the coverage picture and get him to hold the ball in the pocket. He's clearly at his best as a rhythmic thrower of the football when he can be very, very good. Um, but he's not what I would call a late-in-the-down quarterback. He has a tendency to speed up his process both physically and mentally, and that's when the poor decisions come. And so it's a roundabout way to answer your question, but I think that if they don't present any pressure on Baker Mayfield, given their secondary, I think that I would expect Baker to probably look pretty good in this game. Well, and I think it's a tough match. You know, Tampa Bay, their offensive line inside has been up and down. The younger guys inside with Hainsey at center, Cody Mock as a, as a rookie right guard has kind of played like a rookie. Aaron Stinney's a backup that's overachieving, but still a backup. Those tackles, though, there's not a lot you can say. Those guys have been pretty – Yeah, I mean, Wurst is really, really good. Gadecki's been way better than I thought. Um, now, I don't think yeah. he's great by any means. It's not as if he's not beatable. But, you know, I thought when I watched him, because he was a small school kid, I'm trying to remember where he came out of. Um, was he one of those North Dakota or South Dakota guys? I mean, he he was out of Central Michigan. Central Michigan. Okay, that's right. He played opposite the kid who I think is with Indianapolis. Is it Raymond? Did Raymond come out of Central Michigan as well? I can tell I, you in a second here, but but continue I, about what you think of him, though. I believe so. But anyway. Um, yes, uh, you're right. Yep. Yeah. So um, what were we talking about? Oh, but one thing I noticed watching the tape and watching a ton of dropbacks today was they struggle with stunts. Now, the Eagles are not necessarily a high percentage stunt team, but, you know, it's the playoffs now. As you said, it's one game. You know, sometimes you have to make some tweaks and adjustments that fit beating your opponent. You know, clearly the way the Eagles have played this year, they can't just say, well, we'll line up with our pass rush and we're really good. That has not been the case. So now they have to match what they do to their opponent. And I've noticed that teams have had good success against them with stunts. They've lined up a lot of loaded fronts, which usually produce stunts, as you know. Um, a lot of teams have gone double mug, which we have seen Eagles do this year. Um, so, you know, I think there's ways they can create some problems that they have to attempt to do. They can't just line up with the idea that, hey, Reddick's going to have a great game this week or Sweat's going to become really good this week. You know, Sweat's going against Tristan Wirfs, who, you know, is, is arguably one of the three or four best left tackles in the league. Right, and those stunts are inside looping stunts for the most part, correct? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, so we're talking about, again, I going after those interior linemen for Tampa Bay and making them have to play athletically, making them have to see things and adjust to things that are moving fast at them, which means, I mean, I would think Reddick is going to be the guy that's going to be featured on if they do indeed. Yeah, and, and they have moved Reddick around at times. There have been third downs where he's a stand-up, you know, zero technique or stand-up three technique. You know, to me, I think these are things you have to do in this game. Um, you know, so that's one area, I think, defensively that I would expect the Eagles 
you know, to, to see them do those kinds of things because they have to somehow compensate for their secondary. I mean, Mike Evans is big time. He's predominantly their boundary X, but he will line up to the trip side as well, usually number two or number three when he's to trips. Godwin is a is a is a beast inside. They've struggled at the uh, slot corner position, even with Avanta Maddox back for a couple of weeks. They've struggled. In fact, this week they rotated Maddox and Bradley Roby, which tells you they don't think Maddox is really all the way back. So, you know, and Trey Palmer, he gives them verticality. And even though he's not a volume target, you know, when you have a receiver that that can run as a vertical dimension it, it puts a certain amount of pressure on it on a on coverage and the eagles do not have speed on the back end right yeah how about other side of the ball then jalen hurts did you agree with the assessment that he's been uneven this season compared to let's say last yes. season yes yeah two things have not happened as much this year as last year um, one, you nailed it when you said that they're just not, there have not been as many second reaction movement plays, which, you know, you and I have talked about this for years and years and years that no matter how good you are at those plays, you can't count on them. That can't be, you know, you can't go into a game saying, well, we have no problem because Jalen's going to make six great plays off script. You know, you can't count on those as, as I think you would agree. Correct. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And the other thing which they did incredibly well last year, but are difficult throws, and I don't think you can count on them either, is last year it seemed whenever they needed a big play, Hertz hit Brown, particularly Brown, sometimes Smith, on vertical routes outside the numbers. And they have not hit many of those this year at all. Yeah, no, great point. The, the go balls for – wouldn't you think that one would stick around, though? Like, that's not like, – you can throw those at any time. And those, those I agree. They just haven't connected. You know, yeah. last year it seemed whenever they needed one, they connected. Yeah, and even some – and I don't know what the, the numbers have said on, on – I know he led the league in slant route catches last season. A lot of it was the RPO stuff. I don't feel like over the middle we've seen As with, we- with Brown – dominating the way that he did a year ago. They're just the pass game has not had any rhythm or continuity to it from snap to snap. No, and I'm you know, look, you you know this because you worked for a team for years is last year, I think the Eagles offense, I don't want to say it caught the league by surprise, but I think with a lot of things they did that that incorporated Hurts running ability, even if he didn't run on the play, it, you had to deal with it. I think defenses weren't exactly sure how to play it. You even saw that in the NFC Championship game with, with the um, uh, 49ers defense, with D'Amico Ryans, the coordinator, obviously a very good defensive coach. And my guess is, as is wanted to be the case, that teams spent all offseason, particularly in their division, and then when the schedule came out, breaking down the Eagles offense and sort of figuring out, okay, here's what they do. You know, you know how coaches are. I mean, these guys, they're, they're nuts. This is how they work. Um, and I'm sure they took away some of the things that were successful. And, you know, you have a new coordinator for the Eagles who, you know, I think is going to be really good at times, but it's his first year as a coordinator. And, you know, he's learning on the job as well. So, you know, uneven is a really good word. The other thing that I think has really stood out and will be a factor in this game is they've really struggled versus blitz. And, you know, we know that that Todd Bowles will blitz. In fact, they, they're the team in the NFL that has the most sacks by non-defensive linemen in the league. And 
you know, you, look, you know Todd Bowles' defense. You know what he does. He's been doing that for years since he's been in the NFL, where he uses secondary players as meaningful blitzers. Antoine Winfield had six sacks this year. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's a tremendous one. And then, I know last year, uh, White at linebacker, Devin oh, yeah. White led, led the league in off the ball pass rushing in every way imaginable number of rushes, number right. of pressures, number of hits. So they've got two, and those are usually. White is almost always part of that pass rush when they when they start dialing up some of this designer stuff. And, and, and to um, me, they do a great job attacking gaps. They send two guys into one gap and, you know, they make you have to deal with that. And I thought this past week, I didn't, you know, look, I don't I don't know how they build their protections. OK, I mean, I have a sense from watching tape, but I'm not going to sit here and say I know what they do. So it's not a matter of placing blame because, you know. I just don't know the answers to all that, and I'm and I'm not one of those guys that would do that. But no matter, no matter what you're facing, the quarterback it's incumbent upon the quarterback to be alert for pressure, okay, and to recognize fronts and potential pressures and react accordingly. Even teams where the center calls the protections, because like the Niners, for instance, the center calls the protections, not Purdy, but but in those systems. The quarterback can always override the center if he sees something that the center is, you know, is not is not seeing. Because centers don't normally see safeties twelve yards off the ball. Yeah, great point. And and ultimately, the quarter. And then when there is an unblocked defender, and it's going to be by design. Obviously, the quarterback has one hundred percent responsibility on that and has to right. have a response. Our friend Mark Trestman loves talking about that. He'll go into that. And in tremendous detail, Tampa I mean, Bay's going to hurt. It hurts this week. Never sped up his drop tempo. I mean, you know, when you play the Giants, as will be the case when you play Todd Bowles in the Bucks, you literally have to be alert for pressure on every snap. They they blitz the majority of snaps throughout the season. They did more late in the year. And the Giants, by the way, really surprised. You know, Drew Wilkins, who they just got rid of, was the guy designing a lot of their sub-package pass rushes. I don't know if you saw the Giants film against the Rams a week before. I did. Oh, I did. He lit them up. I mean, that was as dominant of a schematic performance on third down. I was talking third down. Now, the Rams had an excellent game overall. The Rams, you know, got – but when you got to third and long, the Giants dominated the Rams – on those snaps that that is a really good designer pressure defense. I'm, I'm a little surprised they're making some changes there. Right. No, I agree. But I mean, that just speaks to the point that when you play teams, that pressure, you have to be alert almost on every play. They're not just going to pressure on third down, you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be aware. So the other playoff game then, that in the NFC kind of let's keep it to the NFC East and go Dallas and Green Bay because that's kind of I mean that's that one's probably going to get 40 million viewers on they put that in the premium spot of Sunday four o'clock yeah uh, Packers to me Greg what is their record nine and eight they feel like a nine and eight team I would not want to play they're six and two in their last eight well okay maybe that's maybe that's why they've got a quarterback that to me feels like he can do Almost when when he's on, he's as good as anyone. It feels like. I mean, I, he can do I, just about. And they throw downfield. It's the most downfield oriented passing attack in the NFL against a defense that does have a very good pass rush. That's not to be discounted, but a defense that we've talked about has some corners, particularly Bland, that can be susceptible downfield. 
And Gilmore this week is probably going to have to play with the shoulder harness. So that's going to limit what he can do. Cause obviously with your arm, you know, you're going to be limited. Um, they, they use motion incredibly well. A lot of times it's motion across the formation. They've done a great job with that. They know they're going to get man coverage. You're going to see motion because it's going to present free access off the ball, but therefore not disrupting the routes. Um, and you're right about love. Love, you know, every once in a while, his lower body mechanics are poor and he throws off balance, but he is a high level traits guy, big arm, pushes it down the field, willing to make difficult throws, um, moves really well, um, clearly more comfortable as the season has progressed. And, and a very overlooked fact uh, about the, um, the Packers, the last three games, okay, Aaron Jones has had 20 or more carries in each of the last three games and 111 or more yards in each of the last three games. So that we know that that's the way Matt LaFleur ideally wants to play. Um, so, you know, I, 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 and by the way, I don't know if you've seen th- those games on tape, but Jones has looked pretty spry. Well, I was just going to say he's looked, he looks refreshed. I, I almost yeah. like I'm off. For the right, injury, right, a benefit. I remember, you know, and it's not quite, it's not apples to apples at all because this guy I'm about to mention had missed almost the whole season and came on. But it kind of reminds me, to some degree, running backs that are hurt and then come on late in the, like, show up late in the season. Remember Sean Green for the Jets? And yes, honestly, yes, yes. In, they brought him in. He'd missed all year. He, Wasn't that when Rex was there back. and they had the run game? I think Rex was there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's a twenty. I think it's twenty tenth. It's definitely the Rex Ryan era. It's a twenty. So yeah, because two thousand and nine, I think, was Thomas Jones. Sean Green just ran by everybody late, and he hadn't played all yeah. season, and he, and he looked like he was in September, and everyone else was in January, and he just ran fresh legs late in the year. Aaron Jones absolutely looks like like he's got fresh legs. That's yep. a different look. I'd forgotten how good he was yeah. until they missed him for a few weeks there. You know, and the other thing too is. Um, They've been really good, the Packers, out of 12 personnel. And now Musgrave is back. He missed a number of games. Uh, and while he was out, Tucker Kraft, the tight end from South Dakota State, really showed up. And I loved him coming out of college. And he became a really good player. But Musgrave has really high-level talent. So they have two tight ends that can play. So they've been going with 12 personnel. And very often, the, the Cowboys, in response to 12, they play big nickel, three safeties. That's their base defense. They they never play with three linebackers. So you know, I'd be curious to see if if Matt LaFleur believes that with his two tight ends that are athletic and can both get vertical, if he feels that, you know, that's one strong way to attack this defense um, because they've been really good at a 12 personnel throwing the ball. Yeah, no, great. And credit to them. By the way, I'm looking up Sean Green. He was not hurt. It was his 2009 season. Oh, okay. He was not hurt. But he he just had been an ancillary player, and then they featured him in the postseason. He was fresher than everybody else. Right. Had 135 yards in the wild card, 128 the next week, and then I kind of it. He had, he had two great games here. Let's put it that way. But, right, um, right, right. But, um, uh, no, so, but yeah, so I'm, I'm. But I agree with you about love. Love is is. You know, I don't think people realize how talented this kid is. No, they, they don't. And by credit to Green Bay for that tight end thing, because remember they drafted Musgrave in the second round. Tucker Craft in the third round, they invested in 12 personnel. They knew they wanted to play that way. And I think it's also important, Greg, with, with the Packers. You know, I, I did say this in the coach's newsletter a few weeks ago. I thought, okay, what's different? Because they're they've been much better second half than first half of the season. Went and compared it. You know what was different in their approach? Pretty much absolutely nothing. 
They just got better at the approach that they took. And it's a good reminder, coaches know their players. And there's a reason they take the identity that they do. And when they do, we kind of tend to analyze the results with the idea like, well, okay, they tried this, does it work or not work? And that's it. We forget that these guys improve and learn and develop and things change over time. And I think it's a real credit to to Matt LaFleur and, and, and the brass in Green Bay. Hey, we're going to build a multi-tight end offense. I think they probably knew we are going to throw downfield a little bit more, which is that comes with playing multi-tight end, by the way, sometimes, because we're talking early down passes when you do that. And and they did that was the plan, and they got better within the plan as the season went along, and now they're they're bearing the fruit. And, of it. and keep in mind they're playing with second year and first year wide receivers in addition to the two rookie tight ends. And they're playing with two offensive tackles, Walker on the left side, who was a seventh-round pick, and Tom on the right side, who was a fourth-round pick. Neither one was expected to be their starting tackles when, when their, the season started. And, you know, you know so you got to work through it. Now, this is a game where that could be a little bit of a problem. Walker, I've noticed on tape, clearly struggles with speed to power, so he's going to get a healthy dose of Micah Parsons. That's not the guy you want uh, when you're struggling with anything. Jaden Reed, you mentioned him in our Zoom call earlier today that we had with the 33rd team people. It, that's the guy. That's like he almost he perfectly embodies the improvement within the season. It feels I would like. Agree. They seem like he's the guy they feature on the motions. He looks like he's getting more comfortable each week. Uh, his role becomes more defined, and the offense doesn't run through him, but he's kind of become the main schemed guy in their offense, yes. at least in the passing game. I agree with that 100%. He's their motion guy. And uh, you want him to have free access. He's a smaller receiver. He's got really good burst. Um, so, yeah, he's become a really important piece to their offense. Talk about a couple of these before we get to these coaching, uh, big coaching news, actually, we want to touch on. But any other other – wild card games that jump out to you matchups within the game obviously the games all jump out they're playoff games yeah they're playoff games specifically like i know one thing for me i the miami dolphins and the unbelievable number of injuries that they've had on the edge up front you know things like that i steve spagnolo said it to me once years ago the worst thing that can happen to you as a defense is to get injuries concentrated at one position you'd rather lose four starters than to lose a starter and his top two or three backups right 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 and, well, and that's happened in Miami. They've signed some guys that were pretty good five years ago. I don't know how it's going to work, though. The one game that I find intriguing, and it's because I've, I've read what the weather is going to be in Kansas City. It's going to be zero. And, you know, I, I've been studying the, the the Chiefs run game a little bit as well this week. And I really like what they do with their gap scheme run game, particularly at a multiple tight ends. And I think that really fits Pacheco. Um, and you know, I, my guess is this is not going to be an easy game to throw the ball. So, you know, I, I tried to get a feel for that from coach Martz on the call today, you know, um, and he made the point that it's actually much harder to catch it. Cause it's like catching a rock. Obviously, uh, I've never done that. And I don't usually go out if it's zero degrees regardless. So, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and not, not the issue you want to have if you're Kansas city this season, either with, with a more difficult ball to catch. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I I'm kind of intrigued by the Chiefs run game, the gap scheme run game in particular. Um, And I think that fits Pacheco extremely well because, you know, he likes to get it and go north and south. Um, And the gap scheme, you know, presents that more than, let's say, an outside zone run game where you're sort of moving laterally before you decide on when to put your foot in the ground and and cut. Um, 
So, you know, that's something I took a look at this week and they've had a lot of success with that. And, and I just like watching Pacheco run when he gets a little bit of, of uh, space. He's an angry, he's an angry man. Well, and on the other side with Miami's offense, you know, you don't want to rush to judgment, but that does not to attack of Iloa doesn't seem like that's not a quarterback you'd want in cold weather at the top of your head. Yes. I would yeah, agree with that. And, and, mean that and he's not an off script player. So, you know, this is where, look, I don't think Andy Reid's throwing the ball 45 times, but I think in a game like this, where it's going to be a little uncomfortable and things might not be as, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, as on script as you would hope, you know, just because of the nature of the field, it's going to be tough to get footing. You know, this is where I think the ability of Mahomes to move around and do some things off script is going to be much more of a factor. Tua can't do that. Yeah. Uh, coaching changes. Two, probably first ballot Hall of Fame, rock star, A-lister coaches, one from college, one from the NFL. First of all, Pete Carroll, did that surprise you? Big time. I was actually in the dentist chair today, uh, Wednesday, had a dental emergency. So I came back to the office and had no idea that it happened and then saw that it happened. And I was really surprised. Yeah, I was as well. And it's, it'll be interesting to see what direction the franchise goes in. Because, I, I mean, they don't strike me as a team that's primed to have a reset. Like they were on the, they, you know, they can be better, obviously, but they, they, you know, I don't, are they going to overhaul it? I don't, I don't know what the plan, I haven't thought about this one. No, no, it just happened. But look, there were many smart people who thought that they could win the division this year with what they had. And obviously it didn't work out that way and they didn't even make the playoffs, but they were nine and eight. They're competitive for the most part. They had some issues that need to be corrected, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, But no, this is not, it's not a team where a coach would look at it and go, man, I don't want to go there. They're bad. You know? No, no, that's, it's going to be a, I mean, between that and the chart, it might push the charger job as the one that's most desirable to a coach chargers, I think would be just because of the Justin Herbert factor there, but right. And I don't think they're making this change. I don't think this was like a, I mean, Pete Carroll was went nine and eight. It's not like a, it's not a horrible year. And he's won nine. I'm looking at now he's won nine games. Every year since tw- at least nine games, every year since 2012, he won seven in 2021. Yeah, and I doubt he woke. I mean, I would th- I, look, we don't know how it all played out, but I can't imagine that it just happened today out of nowhere. But maybe it did. I don't know. And then Nick Saban, uh, as the other one, what would if when I so we're NFL guys, I know you studied the college game, but we're in you know, we're NFL guys. When you first think of Nick Saban. I mean, what do what what do you where do you where does your mind go? Process. I'm not Nick Saban by any stretch of the imagination, Andy. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm comparing myself to Nick Saban. But I'm a process guy in the way I work, and Nick Saban is all about process. So I've always just really enjoyed his approach to to coaching. I, I always feel like Nick Saban is coaching against the game of football as opposed to the opponent you know is that a does that make sense yeah that's a really interesting way to give me i mean i mean i feel like he wants the players with the, the way they go about preparing the process of preparing to play football the right way and if you do that the results will 
theoretically take care of themselves. I mean, obviously, in college football, you need players. And, and because of the success he has, he gets five-star athletes. You know, we get all that. I'm not, you know, but, but I just, I'm, I'm a big believer in the way I work in process. And when I've heard Nick Saban talk, I've listened to some of his, his clinics on, on YouTube. I've just heard him, you know, speak in other, you know, venues as well. Usually on YouTube, it's, I've never met him. Um, you know, I just feel like that's the way he sees the game. It's about the process of doing the right thing every single time. And if you do that, you're playing the game the right way and the results will happen the way they're supposed to happen. The only team I hear, like everybody in the NFL believes that that, that that's the way to, like we're going to develop players better than the college guys. Like, absolutely. We're the NFL. The only team that, that gets viewed differently where they say, actually, you know, the guys might be getting better development over there uh, is Alabama. Where right. like, they are so well-respected by the nuts and bolts people of football for how yep. they develop their players and send them out to the league. doesn't mean every Alabama guy is going to be uh, a successful pro, but they have such credibility for how they develop guys within the NFL. And to me, as, as a pure NFL guy, that's what stands out is like that, that is the championships matter more, no question, but like yeah, the I credibility mean, they have is the ultimate compliment. Look, I mean, obviously he wins games now because there is a correlation between doing things the right way and winning games clearly. And like I said, they do get, you know, high level players. So, you know, but my guess is if, if Nick Saban was coaching at a division three school, he'd approach it the exact same way. And he'd probably win a lot of games in division three. You know, we might not hear about him as much because he's at Alabama now, you know, and then obviously retiring, but you know, I think that's, that's ultimately you know, and again, who am I to, to, to say I respect Nick Saban? I mean, who am I? This guy's, you know, the best, maybe the best football, college football coach ever. But, you know, I know the way I think about what I do. And I'm sure there are some people that think I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, that's just the way of the world. But, you know, to me, and, and you've spent time with me, you know how I work. I, I'm all about the process of doing this. And I think that that leads, I, I think, to pretty good results. Well, good. Well, Greg, appreciate you. Enjoy the wild card game. I love wild card. I love all these weekends coming. I know up, you but, do. Uh, I know you do. Yeah. yeah. No, it's playoffs. I love it. Uh, for my friend, Greg Cosell, I'm Andy Benoit. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. Appreciate you listening. Listen again. Hit that subscribe button. We'll be back next week. 